0: book two chapter nine part one of tasker jevons the real story by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine book two her book chapter nine part one that we had made out something very like the truth of it i realized when i met burton withers for eventually i did meet him it was at the end of june nineteen ten in the green room of the crown theatre on the hundredth night of jimmy's play that is what i remember it by nora and i were with viola and jimmy withers had come in with a friend an important member of the cast who was evidently under the impression that we had never met before for he introduced him to us all round. withers showed tact in not recognizing viola or claiming the acquaintance he certainly had with jevons he had in fact a most reassuring air of starting again with a clean slate and no reminiscences this was in the interval between the first and second acts when the curtain rose on act Two, i was alone in jimmy's box jimmy and viola and nora were trying the effect of the play from the stalls and at the next interval withers came to me there it was funny he said the way little jevons had come on he didn't suppose any of us had thought of this four years ago when we had all met together in bruges i said Did we all meet together in Bruges? Well, if it wasn't in Ghent... Oh, of course it was at Ghent you and I met. You hadn't joined the others then. At first I was hopelessly mystified by these allusions. I couldn't think what point he was making for or where he would come out. He seemed to be trying uneasily to get somewhere. Then I saw that he had had it on his mind that when we had last met he had made a defamatory statement to me about the lady who had become my sister-in-law. And about a man who had become a celebrity, I knew Withers' little weakness for celebrities. And he was scared. I must have seemed a bit lost among his illusions, for he blurted it out. Do you know, I've been most awfully sorry for chaffing you in that idiotic way about your sister-in-law. Silly sort of thing, one says, you know. But of course you knew I was pulling your leg. I said, my dear Withers. Of course I knew you were. Of course I knew he was doing nothing of the sort, for Withers slandered right and left when it wasn't worth his while to grovel, and i had no doubt now that he believed his own dirty tale when he told it but he had been impressed and thoroughly frightened even at the time by the calmness of my bluff and the little beast was far more afraid of us than we ever could have been afraid of him now we could henceforth dismiss withers from our minds he was a social climber of the sort that would eat his own words if he thought they would do the smallest damage to his climbing as for the ladies, General Thesiger's friends, i rather think the general had settled with them at the time. You might say we had nothing to fear from Reggie if Reggie's silence and his deafness hadn't been more terrible than anything he could have heard or said. I suppose 1910 ought to stand as the year of Tasker Jevons's great play, the play that ran for a whole year after the hundredth night, that ran on and on as if it would never stop, that when it was taken off the crown stage to make room for its successor, still careered through the provinces and the United States. It seemed the year of Jimmy's utmost affluence. If he kept it up, we said, he'd be a millionaire before he died of it. But it wasn't conceivable that he could keep it up for long. We thought he'd never write another play like this one. There never would be another year like 1910. I believe that even Jimmy thought there'd never be another year like it. So far had he surpassed his own calculations as it was. But for me, 1910 is the year of other things, the things that happened in the family, the year of Reggie's return and all the misery that came from it, the year of Viola's struggle, the agony of which we, Nora and I, were the helpless spectators. She never said a word to us. It was Nora who conveyed to me the secret intimate shock of it that year jimmy rained boxes and stalls and theatre parties for his play on all the Thessengers except reggie and on all their friends and on dorothy and gwinnie and their husbands when they came back from simla and gibraltar it was the year of their return too but we stood behind the scenes of a tragedy that mercifully was hidden from jimmy's eyes it was the year when mildred broke off her engagement to charlie Thesiger. it was the year when our little girl viola was born the year when we moved from our Bloomsbury flat into the little house in Edwards Square, taking over the end of the lease and all the fixtures and some of the furniture from Jimmy. Jimmy hadn't a child, and he had sworn that he never would have one. He was so afraid, and this fear was the only thing that disturbed his optimism, so horribly afraid that Viola might die. But he had outgrown the house in Edwards Square. It was the year of his first really startling expansion." It was the year when he moved into the house in mayfair why mayfair we really couldn't think he said he liked the sound of it it made him feel as if he was in the country when he wasn't and as if it was the month of may when there never was any month of may in england as if there were a maypole where the fountain is in park lane and as if processions and processions of horses Splendid stallions and brood mares and thoroughbreds and hacks and great Suffolk punches with their manes and tails tied up with ribbons were coming past his house to the fair. He may have felt like that about it. I put no limits to Jimmy's imagination. But I suspected him of throwing out these airy fancies as a veil to cover the preposterous nature of his ambition. It was also the year when he began to talk about motor cars and think about motor cars and dream about motor cars at night and it was the year in which he and viola went to the riviera while the plumbers and painters were at work on the house in green street mayfair they stayed away all autumn and at the end of november they settled in and at christmas they gave their housewarming it wasn't a large party only a few friends of viola's and jimmy's lawyer and his doctor and his agent and a few picked members of the confraternity the rest were thesigers if jimmy had meant to give a demonstration proving that he could gather the whole of his wife's family round him at a pinch. He had all but succeeded. I suppose every available member had turned up that night, except Reggie. The general and his wife and daughters were there, and Charlie Thesiger and Bertie, and Canon and Mrs. Thesiger. They had come up from Canterbury on purpose and were staying with the general, and Dorothy and Gwynny and their husbands, and Victoria and Mildred, who stayed with Viola, and Millicent, who came to us, and a whole crowd of miscellaneous aunts and cousins perhaps sixty altogether counting outsiders norah and i had been away for weeks in the country and had only got back that afternoon so we had not seen the house in green street since it had been furnished it burst it literally burst on us without the smallest warning or preparation like jimmy's first novel it was designed to startle and arrest hitting you in the eye as you came in the actual reception was held in the large hall which had been formed by turning what had once been the dining-room loose into the passage and the stair-place so far the architect had done his work well after that he had been left to struggle with and interpret as he best could the baronial idea that had been imposed on him the hall was paneled halfway in dark oak and above the oak the walls were hung with a rough papering of old gold but what hit you in the eye as you came in was the oak staircase that went up royally along the bottom wall it had scarlet and gold tudor roses on the flank of the balustrade and at every third banister there was a shield picked out in scarlet and gold and at the bottom of the balustrade and at the turn a little oak lion sat on his haunches and held up yet another shield picked out in scarlet and gold in his forepaws the bare oak planks of the upper floor made the ceiling and there was an enormous tudor rose in the middle of it where other people might have had a chandelier and little tudor roses blazed at intervals all along the cornice and there was a great stone hearth and chimney-piece a tudor chimney-piece mullioned with a shield carved in the centre and the motto dominus defensor Domi, and on either side the rose and the grill the rose and the grill alternately there were andirons on the hearth and an immense log burning and swords and daggers and suits of armour hung on the gold walls above the panelling. And I swear to you that the curtains and upholstery were in tapestry cloth, the lilies of France in gold on a crimson ground. It was as if Jimmy had wanted to say to the Thesigers that if it came to being Tudor he could be as Tudor as any of them and more so. Thus deeply had he absorbed the Canterbury atmosphere. When she saw the suits of armour, Nora squeezed my arm and breathed, oh my darling wally in an ecstasy that was anguish poor mildred's plump face turned as scarlet as the tudor roses with an emotion that we could not fathom but judged to be painful we had come early with the idea of making ourselves useful if necessary but there was hardly anybody there yet only two or three guests drinking coffee or champagne cup at the long table under the windows and jimmy who stood in the middle of his tudor hall talking to one of the confraternity and rocking himself gently from his toes to his heels and from his heels to his toes again as a sign that he was not in the least elated but only at his ease he was delighted to see us and for quite three seconds he ceased his rocking and began to twinkle in a most natural and reassuring manner then i remember him scuttling away to greet another guest and the confrere gazing after him with affection and turning to us in a sort of grave enjoyment of the scene i remember viola coming up to us and her little baffling smile and her look the look she was to have for long enough of detachment from jimmy and his tudor hall i remember the dark blue half-transparent gown she wore that was certainly not tudor and her general air of being an uninvited and an inappropriate guest and how she conveyed us to the table to get drinks all comfy before the others came and when viola had drifted away i remember charlie thesiger strolling up to us the supercilious youth had been getting a drink all comfy on his own account and his little stiff moustache was still wet with jimmy's champagne cup above the atrocious smile he met us with he asked us if we'd seen the drawing-room we said we hadn't and he advised us to go up and look at it at once before anybody else did you can't see it properly he said unless you're alone with it i suppose we ought to have been grateful to charlie for not letting us miss it and it was perfectly true that the way to see it was to be alone with it there would indeed have been a positive indecency in seeing it in any other way he had spared our decency and yet i think we hated him for having sent us there it was as if he had sent us to look at something horrible at an outrage at violence done to shrinking delicate things we looked at it and we looked at each other we didn't speak "'and I don't think either of us smiled. "'I remember Nora going behind me "'and closing the door swiftly "'as she might have closed it on some horror "'that she and I had to deal with alone. "'I remember her saying then, "'This is too awful, "'not in the least as if she meant what we were looking at, "'but as if she saw something invisible "'that lurked and loomed behind it, "'so that I asked her what she thought it meant. "'It means,' she said, "'that Jimmy's done it all himself he's had to do it all himself she hasn't cared i said it looked as if he hadn't cared she moaned oh but he did he did he's cared so awfully that's the dreadful part of it you can see he has just look at those vases and those cabinets and things and think of the money the poor thing must have spent on it but i said it's so unlike him his taste for furniture's impeccable the old house was perfect so in its way was the cottage i'm afraid that wasn't jimmy's taste it was vivi's she did everything Well, she told us he did poor darling she wanted us to think he did he appreciated it anyhow he'd appreciate anything if she did it then i said why should he break loose like this now because she hasn't cared she hasn't cared a hang she's left everything to him and you can see poor dear how he's spread himself oh yes you could see it was as if he had never had scope before and now with no limit to his opportunity he had simply run amok it wasn't that the things he had gathered round him in his orgy were not fine things it was the awful way he'd mixed them yielding incontinently to each solicitation as it came along dealers had been on the lookout for jimmy to exploit his fury in his tutor hall he had been constrained to unity by a great idea but not here and reminiscences of the canterbury drawing-room had suggested to him that you could mix things so using a satinwood suite with tinted marquetry and old rose upholsterings he had succumbed to it at the first freshness of his innocence as a base he had added boule cabinets and modern indian tables in carved openwork to adams cabinets and renaissance tables in ebony inlaid with engraved ivory and eighteenth-century gilded berger chairs to old oak in chippendale. and chippendale cloison and sevres stood side by side on the same shelf he had an aubusson carpet in the middle of the floor and his bokhara rugs at intervals down the sides nora was sitting on the emerald green brocade of an empire sofa clutching the gilt sphinx head of the arm end it was a double room and emerald green curtains hung at the tall windows in the front and at the large stained glass window at the back and at the wide archway between and an algerian lamp swung from the back ceiling and an early victorian glass chandelier from the front and the awfulest thing of all is nora was saying that he's done it to please her don't believe her that's the beautiful part of it viola had come in by the door of the back room and she was smiling at us yet even as she smiled she had that look of being detached of not caring we couldn't say anything We were too miserable. She looked round the dreadful rooms as if she were trying to see them for the first time, as if some reverberation of the horror we had felt did penetrate to her in her remoteness. She smiled faintly. What does it matter, she said, so long as it makes him happy? It would be sweet if you'd come down and help us now. We went down and the housewarming began. End of book two, chapter nine, part one.